Well, hey everybody, welcome to episode 216 of the Ankeny Fanatic Weekly Podcast. As always, is brought to you by our good friends at Coldwell Banker Mid-America. Coldwell Banker is rooted in the legacy of our founder, renowned businessman and philanthropist, Marvin Pomeranz. We continue to tell his story through our love of people, homes, and the communities we serve. Our integrity guides our focus to empower people to make the best real estate decisions possible. We pair local ownership and knowledge with the power of an international brand and the most advanced technology to elevate the customer experience and expectations. Our network of resources allows us to be the number one Coldwell Banker franchise affiliate in Iowa, guiding you home for over 30 years. All right, well, my guest tonight for the third straight week is the head coach of the Ankeny Centennial Boys basketball team. Unfortunately, the Jaguars season ended earlier today with a 55-37 to loss to third-ranked Waukee Northwest in the Class 4A quarterfinals at Wells Fargo Arena. His team finished the season with a 16-8 and record. He is Bob Fontana. Bob, and we've had a long day. Thanks for joining me. appreciate it. You're welcome, Dan. Well, uh, they, they say that history sometimes repeats itself, and, and I think I know somebody who can kind of relate to how you felt after the game today. I was thinking about the 2007 Ankeny team that made it to the state tournament under former coach uh, John Peterson, and it's kind of crazy how many similarities there were between that squad and your centennial team today. And I know you were at that tournament with your uh, Kennedy squad. Do you remember who they played and what happened there? Uh, yeah, Ankeny played uh, Urbandale and only scored like 35 points. Exactly, yep. Yeah. Like, like you guys, they played a conference rival, Urbandale, that had beaten them twice during the regular season. And uh, the Hawks scored just 14 points in the first half, just like you guys. And they were held to 23% shooting for the game, just like you guys. So, yeah, they lost 52-35, uh, to 35, almost the same score as you guys. And they finished the season with a 16-8 and eight record, just like you guys. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. I, I didn't know all that uh, information. But, yeah, so, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Well, you guys got to a great start today, you know, especially at the defensive end. I mean, in that first quarter, you guys were tied up at 11 at the end of the, end of the opening period. I mean, everything that you needed to do to keep it close, you know, it happened in that first quarter, didn't it? Yeah, I, our defensive game plan was was spot on and it was sound, and, and our kids did a good job of executing that. And and then, you know, you go early in the second quarter, and, um, you know, you're, you're feeling good about where we're at at that point in the game. And they even looked a little bit rattled early on they what did. we were doing defensively. Um, but, you know, as we've already talked about it, I think when Luke Winkle got his third foul and there's five minutes to go in the half and, um, you know, we don't score rest of the half and we have 11 possessions left in the half and we turn it over nine times, um, you know, you uh, you go through the whole season there, Dan, and, and Luke had not been in foul trouble, and we only averaged eight and a half turnovers during the season, so that was a little uncharacteristic for us. So, you know, um, you get down by nine and a half, and I still felt like we, we were okay. We just had to get some things corrected, but uh, obviously we, we didn't make shots in the second half. Well, yeah, we'll talk about the second half here in a minute. But, yeah, in that first half, you guys uh, held uh, Price uh, Sanford scoreless until midway through the second quarter. Uh, but then he finally drove down the lane uh, for a basket, and that kind of ignited uh, the huge run uh, by the Wolves. You know, and he's one of those guys that he's just so good, you, you can only keep him down for so long, can you? Yeah, you can. You know, I, I rotated Nick Vasky on him, and uh, Nick had the assignment most of the time. But then, you know, I, I uh, had Shuddy go on him when, when uh, Nick didn't go. Um, and then I had Pratt ready to go, too. But... When when Winkle's out of the lineup, then I've got to you know I got to uh, tweak our our matchups a little bit and go to like our, what I call our second and third assignments, um, which you know um, you don't always want to do, but we had to do it, and so I never did get that third guy on Sanford like I wanted to. 
Well, Sanford went on to finish with uh, 24 points and nine rebounds. You know, he nearly matched his uh, his totals of 28 points and 11 rebounds from the first two games that you guys uh, played against them. Uh, in the end, for you guys offensively, you made just 11 of 48 shots, and that included just uh, four of 28 from inside the arc. You know, if someone had told you before the game that you'd make seven of 23 pointers, which was, you know, slightly above your season average, you know, I'm sure you would have taken that in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. And actually, Dan, I, I look at it as seven of 17 because uh, Winkle's heave from 60 feet at the end of the third quarter counts mm -hmm. as one. And then when I put in Cal Johnson that last minute of the game, uh, Cal's the one that had torn ACL. And, uh, you know, he uh, we just dressed him out and just so he could be announced at the state tournament. And I went ahead and I said, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to take chances on you hurting your knee again, but I said, all I want you to do is spot up in the corner and see if you can make a three. So, uh, but you know, before that, you know, yeah, I would have taken that, like you said, making, making the three, seven threes like we did, but you've got to, we got to knock down some twos and we did not do that. When you mentioned the turnovers earlier, you guys, yeah, you finished with 17. You had 12 of those in the first half. And I'm, yeah, a lot of those happened, of course, when Winkle was out of the game. I mean, he's such a big part of your offense. I mean, even when he's not scoring, he, he just directs everything. I mean, he's just such a, a key part, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And, you know, it's, it's um, I mean, we've played without him before, um, maybe for a minute or two, you know, in big games, but not for five minutes. And, you know, we had some, we had some, some bad passes. Uh, we had some fumbles. Um, and a, a team like Northwest, obviously, they're going to capitalize on it, and they did. You know, we got outscored, what was it, 12 to nothing rest of the half. Right. Well, no, you told me that he really hasn't been in foul trouble, you know, all year, so you're not, you're not used to that situation. Obviously, when you guys were, were up by three, it's an easy decision to pull him. I mean, did you ever think about putting him back in when, when things started to turn south? Yeah, you know what? I, I, I thought about it, but I thought, I don't want something crazy to happen. You, uh, you can't get a fourth foul in the first half. You can't get a fourth yeah. foul. And, and then, you know, what popped into my head is what happened to the Henderson kid from Hoover last night, and he ended up fouling out in the third quarter. Right. So I was just I was hoping we could weather that storm. And, um, you know, obviously the, uh, the turnovers and Winkle sitting next to me, that was obviously played huge. That was a huge factor. Well, Drew Schurz uh, scored 12 points in his final game uh, to lead you guys. He went 4-4 from three-point range. Uh, Nick Vasky had three trays in the fourth quarter, and he finished with 10 points. Uh, Winkle finished with just six points on three of 14 shooting, but he did contribute in other areas. He had uh, seven rebounds. And he dished out to five assists. I mean, your guys played hard. Obviously, they didn't shoot well, but, I mean, you can't fault the effort. No, you know, our, our kids, all year long, we, we've played hard. and um, You know, our kids kept battling and clawing and fighting and, um, you know, again, I know we're, I'm repeating myself, but we just didn't make shots. And I thought too, and we talked about this earlier is, you know, in the second half, when we got down maybe by, you know, 12, 10, 12 points. I thought we took some quick shots and a couple questionable shots. And, um, you know, they, they, again, they feed off stuff like that. Well, I know Drew told me after the game that, you know, the, the team had nothing to lose going into this one after losing to Northwest twice, you know, this season. I mean, uh, the guys looked like they were pretty loose. I mean, they didn't seem to yeah, be like they were nervous at all. We were. And you know what? We had, we had great preparation for this game. They only did one thing offensively that uh, we hadn't seen. Um, it was a counter to one of their sets that we had, they tried running and we took it away two or three times and they ran a counter to it that we hadn't seen before. So, so there was nothing that was a surprise. Um, 
you know, and that's our, our kids, they were very confident about our game plan. Um, so, yeah. We guys didn't have a large senior class, but I know you're going to miss all those guys. We already talked about uh, Shures a little bit, and Evan Bryan had a great year, and he was named to the academic All-State team. Uh, Jack Kirby uh, gave you three points and five rebounds off the bench today, and Easton Pratt and Andrew Smith uh, were the other seniors. You know, th those guys all filled their roles great, didn't they? They did, you know. Um, I told the kids after the game, I, I said that the thing that, that one of the things I'm going to remember about this team is the seniors might not have been the most talented class, but boy, did they do a great job of not only leading, but also accepting the underclassmen and, you know, basically saying, hey, we, we need you, you need us, and together we can get this done. And I just thought our culture was really, really good. And, you know, I've had other coaches around the state, you know, we talk and they say about drama and they ask me, what, what kind of drama are you dealing with? And I said, honestly, we had no drama the entire year, none. And that makes it so enjoyable to coach. And these kids, they worked so hard, they bought in, they were very coachable, and they liked each other. And, you know, it was, you know, yeah, we, we lost eight games, but even when we lost a game, we came back the next day, and if if you would have walked in our gym, you wouldn't have known if we won or lost the night before because that mentality was the same all the time. Well, nobody took a bigger leap uh, this year than Luke Winkle. He went from averaging seven points a game as a sophomore to nearly 17 this year, and I'm guessing he's going to earn uh, some All-State honors in the next week. You know, I haven't asked him much yet about how his recruiting is going, but I'm, I'm guessing he's getting a lot of attention from college coaches. Have you heard from a lot of them? Are they looking at him? Well, yeah, there's, you know, Luke and I sat down and, and I told him, I said, we'll talk more here in another week or two because, you know, when these colleges are wrapping up their seasons. But right now, he's, he's, uh, right now he's getting, um, you know, a lot of Division two interest. So, um, but I know his aspirations are to, to go a little bit higher. So, but again, him and I have had some great conversations. He wants to go somewhere that's the right fit, and he also wants to go somewhere where he, he wants to obviously play, not sit the first few years. Well, I know he's not the biggest, most physical kid, but uh, just the way he runs a team and the way he can get in the paint and score against anybody, I mean, I would think he could he could play at a pretty high level. I know Ben Jacobson was at your game a week ago. I don't know who he was looking at, but I, I would think a place like a UNI might be a good fit for him. But Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. That's that's what we're hoping for. And so, um, you know, he, I, I said he's fearless. Uh, which which you want in all your players, but uh, he's not afraid of any challenge. I know that. Well, you probably didn't get a chance to watch, you know, very many of the quarterfinal games today. But I know you you, you know how they turned out. Uh, what what is your reaction to some of the results today? I know you didn't expect a Kennedy get beat, did you? No, I didn't expect him to get beat. Uh, but you know, you you wonder. Um, I know the Mississippi Valley is not not as deep as it used to be, um, and so. They were really only tested three times this year against Cedar Falls, Iowa City, Weston Valley. So, you know, now you, all of a sudden they're, they're getting taken down to the wire and, and um, you know, they might have had some possessions where that were questionable shots or, you know, and, and PV did a good job. Uh, once they got that, you know, four point, six point lead, they did a great job of running their stuff. I thought PV did a great job of handling Kennedy's, Kennedy's pressure and, uh, and then also just playing simple fundamental basketball. 
Yeah, I just saw part of the game, and, and they're not a deep team, but boy, yeah, yeah, they're they're fundamental. They just they made all the right passes. They just just were real solid. I thought. Yeah, you know, here's the deal, and I went through this before, whether it was at Kennedy or in 2020 with Centennials, when you have those media timeouts and they're a minute and a half, and the quarter breaks are now two minutes. You'll see a lot of coaches. They they might only go six seven deep. You know, I know we went we played eight guys today, and we normally play eight guys, but part of that was because Winkle got in foul trouble. Um, but you know, when you have those those extra timeouts and those extra breathers like that, I think you can get by with playing less guys. Well, none of the four remaining teams are you know are very deep, and, and having to play three games in three days for the two teams that do get to the finals. Do you think that's going to be much of a factor, or do you think those long timeouts you know are going to help them? I think that the timeouts and the extra minutes on the quarter break and that will help them, but also too, and, and you know, I didn't see the entire Ames Waukee game, but it looked like to me that Waukee was able to, you know, rest some guys for a few minutes in that second half because mm -hmm. like they're at like was it thirty-two thirteen at halftime? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I think that you know. Um, you got to worry about that load management in three days in a row and all that stuff. But um, also, too, I think when the adrenaline takes over, that'll help a lot, too. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened in that Waukee game. I watched the first quarter online. They were up by one at the quarter. I went and took a shower to get ready to come down to your game. I, I turned it back on, and they were up by 20. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they, they exploded. I, I saw the first half, and then we went in the locker room, or I did anyway, and I didn't see in the second half. But in the locker room, they have a TV in there, so... Just, I just saw bits and pieces, so um, they were clicking on all cylinders, it looked like. Well, now we get a semifinal matchup between the two Waukee schools, and with, with Kennedy being out, you know, I think a lot of people probably think maybe this will be de the de facto championship game. How do you see that matchup? They split during the regular season. Who, who do you give the edge to? That's a great question. You know, I, I think that, I think, honestly, I, th I think the two factors, or well, three factors, Staying out of foul trouble. I think the team that wins the rebounding and the team that can have, you know, your your third, fourth, fifth scores step up and, you know, contribute. Because I think Omaha is going to get his. I think Pfeiffer could get, you know, get his dozen or whatever. So is a Costello, a Littlefield, a Randall, are they going to step up and can they get you, you know, 10, 12 points? Um, on the other side of the coin, I think, you know, Sanford's going to get his. I think Kelderman, you know, will get his. Or maybe not, you know, 17, 18 a game, but he's going to – him distributing like he does, you know, is worth a lot of points, obviously. But I think they've got to have, you know, a Manning, a Tigus, a Coast step up and knock down some shots. But, you know, I, I would give the edge to Waukee right now. I haven't seen much of the two games when they played each other, but did the two stars? I mean, Sanford has to guard Ballou almost, doesn't he have to? I mean, do, who else would guard him for the, for them? <laughs> well, or they go zone. Yeah, they go zone. Yeah, so um, I think you know, I think that uh, Waukee's got a little bit more length, and if they run that one-two-two and they extend it and they press out of it, and the thing about it, you can take some chances. And you can take some chances out top in your one-two-two without trapping because you got Omaha at six-eight and Pfeiffer at six-nine back behind you. And, and if the ball goes to a wing or a corner and one of them's out there, the other one's still on the backside block. So 
you got rim protectors there too. So um, it'll it'll be an interesting game. I, I'm I'm sure, you know. Hopefully this weather stays away, but um, I'm sure the state is really uh, looking forward to having that whole bottom bowl probably completely packed. There there was a great crowd there today for the quarterfinals. Oh yeah. So, um, you know, on the, on the other side, on paper, you, people probably say Valley, but the way play, uh, the way that Pleasant Valley played today, I think that could be a dogfight. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, one other note on that uh, Waukee game, and I agree with that. I would give a little bit of the edge uh, to Waukee. I noticed in the stats today that uh, Cade Littlefield took one shot. He hit a three-pointer. I'm amazed at how he's kind of adapted his role now that Omaha's there because last year, you know, he was a great shooter. I don't know what he averaged, but it's like he's really accepted the fact that he's not going to get as many shots, and, and that's been a key to their success, I think. Well, yeah, and you know, the, the first time we played him out there this year, um, Omaha, I believe, had 20 points. All right, and we Cooper Randall, we did a good job on. He didn't score, and I think uh, Pfeiffer had two. We did a good job on him, but Costello had 16, and Littlefield hit five threes against us, had 15. So obviously those two guys are very capable. So what, what do you think Valley will prevail then tomorrow? I mean, you, you said that you think it could be a good here, game, but here's the deal: is okay. Valley got, you know, they got a game under their belt today. They got all those sophomores. You don't know how they're going to react like in that, in that environment. And obviously, you know, they got that game under their belt today. But those kids from PV, they hadn't been there before either. So, you know, I, I just, I think it's going to come down to, you know, who's making shots. Um, Valley's got a little bit of a size advantage, more length. Valley's probably more athletic. So, and then I think also, too, it comes down to who plays smarter, too. Well, Valley, of course, uh, has a win over Northwest, and I know they've played Waukee tough. If they can get into the final, I mean, I'm sure you would give them a, a puncher's chance to beat either either of the Waukee schools, wouldn't you? I think that, that uh, Valley would have a better chance against Northwest than they would against Waukee. Mm -hmm. Just because of the matchups? or Yeah, yeah, yes. Well, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably get a chance to watch uh, some of that. Um, well, and the other thing, too, like I said, I think the state's going to love tomorrow because you got that two two o'clock game with North Polk and Bondurant, and there's going to be a good crowd there too. Oh yeah. So, well, of course, that Waukee team from a couple years ago. You know, they had Tucker DeVries and Peyton Sanford, and, and we've seen what those guys have done at the collegiate level. Uh, you know, Tucker led Drake to the Missouri Valley uh, title. He was the MVP of the conference. So they're going to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Peyton Sanford was the sixth man of the year uh, in the Big Ten. So that they're off to a great start in their college careers. How do you see Omaha and, and Price adapting their games to the next level? Do you think those guys are going to be instant uh, contributors next year? You know what? I, 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 do, I do. You know, it, here's the thing you have to take into consideration, too, is not only what can they do and what role are they going to fill, but then or is Iowa and Iowa State, are they going to be bringing in transfers are they going into the portal and grabbing people you know so uh, I, I think they have the capability and, and the, the ability to to contribute um, but who else they bringing in I know I think the, the class that TJ's bringing in is a pretty solid class oh yeah so then 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 you gotta look at okay who's gonna play who's gonna get redshirted you know so and who on the current team is still gonna be there who's leaving um, so, but 
I mean, Omaha right now, his, his body's definitely ready to play. He's got, he's got a collegiate body right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he fits in with that uh, group. I mean, he, he's more of a wing guy. He's not really a post player. Right. So they're not going to put him down the post, I wouldn't think. Um, but he likes to handle the ball. And I don't, you know, when you got a guy like Lipsy that can handle the ball the way he does, I mean, right. you probably don't want Omaha like bringing the ball up the court all, all the time. No, but, I don't see that uh, happening. But yeah, it'll be interesting just to see how they all fit those pieces together. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, again, that, these kids were talking about, that shows you what our league is like. You know, I've talked to some of these college coaches over the last year or two, and they'll say that, that our league is like a small college basketball league. And yeah, there's a lot of good players in our league. Yeah, I don't know if it's, it's ever been better. I mean. I know. It's, like I said, it's a fan's delight and a coach's nightmare. Well, Bob, another thing I want to ask you about uh, tonight before I let you go is uh, the other day you had a chance to go over and visit a couple of uh, Ankeny legends, and uh, we posted on our website uh, the, the notes that you sent to me about your conversation with Barney Alleman and Keith Hildreth, and we got a lot of positive reaction, and I, I think people really enjoyed that. Uh, I don't know how long you were over there, but you must have really enjoyed that visit, huh? <laughs> I tell you what, it was going on two hours, and Barney's daughter, uh, Terry, her and I were classmates years ago, and... Uh, um, she was there, and I thought, I wonder if she's thinking, one of these guys going to stop talking. <laughs> but it was interesting, and Keith actually brought some old articles with him, and he had them in big envelopes. And I, I have two really big, thick scrapbooks uh, that my dad left me, and I wish I would have brought those so those guys could look through those because there are so many great memories. And, you know... What, what a lot of people don't know that live in Ankeny today is how small Ankeny was back then. And it was 1,200 people, and the high school was somewhere between 110 to 120 kids, and, and there's no classes back then. Um, I've often been told, whether it was by Barney and Keith or my dad, my uncles, or some of their former teammates that I didn't talk to their day, they thought if there would have been classes back then, they would have won three consecutive state titles because... Their four losses in those three years were to all the bigger schools. Right, right. So, but it was just interesting to hear their stories, and uh, and just you know, and then you, you've got to, I call it use your historical imagination. They said it took them a good three and a half to four hours to get to Iowa City because there's no interstate. Right. And and then I said, man, I, I I made the comment. I said, God, I bet that wasn't very fun on a bus. And they said a bus. We didn't take a bus. They said there was like some business guys from the community and, and a few parents. We piled in cars and they took us on a Sunday night or a Monday night. We checked into whatever hotel it was in downtown Iowa City and they said we we're there for the week. Well, I heard some stories about uh, the Fontana boys when I was growing up because my, my folks grew up in Rolling Story and back in those days, you know, Rolling Story or, or, or just Story City was bigger than Ankeny. And my dad talked about coming down to play Ankeny, which was a smaller community at the time. But, boy, having to play those Fontana boys was, was not fun. <laughs> well, yeah, and you know what? I, I asked my dad one time, I said, who were the schools in your conference? And he said, Story City, Altoona, Johnston, Madrid, Colfax, Nevada. And, he said, and, and I go, really? And he goes, he goes, yeah. And he goes, there was three or four of those schools that were bigger than us. And it's, it was hard to imagine that. Right. So, and then... The superintendent at that time, he uh, after the first year they went to state tournament, he goes, I want to up our competition during, and I told you this the other day, during the season. And so they started reaching out to bigger schools. 
but none of the Des Moines schools would play him. And my dad said uh, Roosevelt was the best Des Moines school back then, and then East. And he said they scrimmaged Roosevelt one year at Christmas time, and he goes, we we handled them pretty bad, and that got that that word got spread around. They're like, don't don't schedule Ankeny. And so the only ones they played, uh, they played Dowling, and uh, beat them handily a few times. And then they uh, and Valley was smaller back then. Um, Another thing I got a kick out of was those guys were telling me about some of the gyms they played in. And the old wooden floor up at Nevlin that's still there today, they said the top of the key and the bottom of the uh, center circle was only about two feet apart. And I was just, I said, you guys don't have to be in shape then, do you? <laughs> yeah, some of those old gyms. I don't know if you ever played up at the one at Boone. I know when I was like in eighth or ninth grade, we played up at Boone. And you would go underneath the basket, and they had like these columns right behind the, the basket. I mean, like a foot out of, out of bounds. It's probably one of the junior highs or something. No, okay. That, <laughs> that was the, okay, here's some history. That was the Boone High School gym. And if you look it up, the first state tournaments that were held in the state of Iowa were held in that gym because the state association was formed and put in Boone. Oh, wow. So I think it was in like the 1920s for like a handful of years. That's where the state tournament was at. And we played an eighth grade basketball game there, so I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. You're going, hold on. A state tournament was played here and only seats like <laughs> three, 400 people. Oh, that's great. So, well, I was going to ask you about your Uncle Ray. Of course, he's in the Iowa High School Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, scored like, I don't know what, 2,000 points in his yeah. career. Uh, what was his like go-to move? How, how did he score all those points? Did, did you ever get any knowledge on that? You know what, I, I, I got to get you so, <laughs> I was, when I was in, in Cedar Rapids, a guy down in Iowa City gave me this, but there's a, a black and white DVD of the 1950 state semifinal game. And it's not the entire game, it jumps around, but he had this hook shot that he would shoot it from like, you know, even out as far as like eight, 10 foot away. And he, uh, the other thing too, um, he could pass the basketball for a big guy. I'll never forget when I moved to Cedar Rapids, a guy that I met said, I played against your, your dad and uncles, and he goes, your Uncle Ray had a sixth sense. And I go, what? And he said, I swear to God, that guy had eyes in the back of his head. He goes, the way he could pass the basketball for a big guy, you know, it was 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Um, and, yeah, so his go-to move was that, that hook shot, and then he had like a one-hand runner. It'd be like a runner today. Mm -hmm. So, um, but what I got a kick out of when I saw that DVD for the first time, they were only ahead by like five, six points with like two, three minutes to go in the game. I was like, they had no like sense of time and score. It was like, make a couple passes and chuck it up, you know? And I was like, wow. But uh, it, it was it was it was a funny deal to watch. So I'll have to give that to you. Someday. Well, of course, there was no shot clock back then. I mean, did anybody ever stall in those days? Do you know? Yeah. So when I was at Kennedy and I'd been there just a couple of years, I took our guys to a summer tournament over in Rock Island, Davenport area, and we were checking in. And the guy, the, the coach at that time, Dave Wessel, he, he greeted me. And he said, welcome, Coach Fontana. And a guy was sitting next to him, and he goes, what's your name? And I told him. He goes, hey, can you step aside over here? And he introduced himself. He goes, my name's Ken Buckles. Well, Ken Buckles was an all-state guard for Davenport 
and he played against Ankeny in the 1950 state championship. And Barney and Keith talked about this the other day. Davenport, four of their five starters went Division One and played at Northwestern, Iowa, Illinois, and Tennessee. Wow. And, and up until Barnes and McDermott at Ames, that 1950 Davenport team was considered the best team ever in the state of Iowa until Barnes and McDermott's uh, team. And so anyway, where I'm going with this is this Ken Buckles said, we, what, he goes, we ran through that state tournament and he goes, we, nobody even came close to us. I mean, we're talking 30, 40 point games. And he said, but we were really concerned playing Ankeny. He goes, because we thought your Uncle Ray was going to get the tip. They were going to go down. He was going to score. They were going to stop us, go down again, get it to him and score, and go up four to nothing, and then spread us out and play cat and mouse. And I go, I looked at him, I go, what, what do you mean by cat and mouse? And he said <laughs> that they were just going to stall and, and dribble around the whole game. We'd have to chase them. And uh, that didn't happen. I think, well, I think they lost by 29 points. So for, for some reason, like the score 67 to 28 is in my oh, head. So, so it might have been 39, oh, yeah. but still. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they, yeah. And I think that was, I think that was Ray's, um, I think that night was his season low, season low, maybe. He, had well, the, he probably averaged more than that. Well, he did. 20. He averaged 27, 28 yeah. points. I think he scored like 12 that night or 14, but, uh, that year he was the all tournament team was four Davenport guys, and then he was the captain. And he broke five state tournament records that year. He had that 36-point game, then he had most points in the state tournament and a bunch of other records. So the sad deal about him was he was getting recruited all over the Midwest, and he was chosen as a, the first boy in Iowa as a high school American, and he went to, down to Kentucky to play in the North-South Shrine game, high school American game. And... He went to the University of Iowa, freshman year. They were going through their preseason or you know early season practice, whatever. And <clears throat> something wasn't right physically, and they ran a bunch of tests on him, and he had tuberculosis, and he was in the hospital for 14 months, and oh, wow. he never played basketball again. Yeah. So that that was a sad deal because um, he, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he would have went in the NBA, but I'm sure he would have had a nice career at Iowa. Oh sure. Well, and just a note on that championship game, you talked about what the Davenport team was concerned about them stalling. Knowing uh, your dad and your uncles, I'm sure that thought never probably crossed their mind. Probably not. <laughs> let's, let's just get the – well, you, Barney told an interesting story the other day. So the, when those guys were freshmen and sophomores, Bert Evans was their coach. And they said uh, Bert was more of a basketball, baseball guy. So, you know, you know there, there was – you know there was some structure and, you know, there was some, I guess some, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like options to their offense and that. And so he left after their sophomore year to go back to his hometown of, uh, Nevada, I believe it was, and take the Nevada job. And they hired Merritt Parsons. Well, Merritt Parsons was more of a football coach. And so he comes in and, I guess Barney says, you know, he'd spent time at, it was called Iowa State Teachers College back then, up there with their staff and at the Iowa staff with Bucky O'Connor and that. And he, he goes, he had this, he had this offense that we we're going to run. 
He goes, we practiced it, you know, the first 10 practices. And he goes, we ran it the first game or two. And he goes, he goes I think it was the second game. He goes, at halftime, he goes, things weren't going well. And uh, he goes, we're leaving the locker room. And he goes, we all looked at each other and said, let's just play ball like we know how. And he goes, we just ran whatever we want. <laughs> and he goes, it ended up working. <laughs> and he said, then the next game, he goes, Parsons told us, hey, you guys run, run that stuff that you're used to. And, and he goes, he did. And he goes, it's the rest of the season. Pars just said, hey, I'm just going to throw the ball out. You guys just go play. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you mentioned in, in your uh, write-up to me the other day that uh, they told you some stories that you couldn't tell. You did tell me one off-air, though, that was funny. And I think you could tell that one. It's up to you if you want to tell her. I mean, that was a different time. Okay. And, and I think the statute of limitations has probably expired on that oh, one. Okay. So I think you can tell that one. <laughs> so, so I asked these guys, I said, <clears throat> what did you guys do during your downtime? I said, you're in Iowa City. So they would go in on it, one year of the state tournament started on a Tuesday, and then a, I think a, two other years it started on a Wednesday. So anyway, every team um, in the state tournament got one hour on the Iowa Fieldhouse court on the floor the day before the game started. And so, they, like I said, they'd go in, and, and, and so then you win that first game, you're there you know, for like a couple more days. And if you win your second game, you're there the whole week. So I said, what did you guys do in your downtime? And Barney said, well, we, we, they'd have uh, some tours at Iowa campus, um, you know, and then they would, uh, we could go to the other games and watch other teams play. And um, he said that there was they'd, like one night a week, they'd take them to, you know, a restaurant or a cafe to eat or whatever. <coughs> and then he said, if we weren't planning to, maybe go at the malt shop, whatever. And then Keith Keith Hilda speaks up, and he goes, I got a story. He said, the first year we were there, he goes where the locker rooms were at, we, we noticed there was this really long hallway that led down all the way down to the University of Iowa swimming pool. And the hallway, it was sort of at a, at a decline, but he goes, the floor was that slick marble and he goes, if it got just a little bit wet, he goes, it was, it was slip, slippery as heck. He goes, so we decided after one of our games, he goes, we just poured a bunch of water on that floor. And he goes, after the game was over, he goes, you know, when nobody's around, he goes, we came running out of that locker room and just slid down that hallway. And he goes, we would slide and slide and slide. And I go, hold on a second. I said, so you get done playing, you shower, you put your clothes on? Where you stud your uniforms on? I said, and all that stuff gets wet, your clothes. You, he goes, oh, no. He goes, we're nude. <laughs> he goes, we just ran out of, out of the locker room. He goes, buck naked. He goes, just hit our, hit, hit our bottoms and went flying down that hallway. I said, you had all been suspended today. Yeah, I can just picture those guys doing that. <laughs> oh, and then when Barney told the story about getting egged on to try to throw the eraser around the, the pole on the third floor at Nevlin, and it hit his coach in the chest and he gets chased all the way outside. I was just like, and then Barney said, hey, we had fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. Oh, that's great. Oh, well, Bob, we could talk all night about uh, these great memories. I uh, appreciate uh, your time with that and, uh, and the great season that you guys had. It's been a lot of fun to cover, but I'll, I'll let you go now. I know you want to go home and, and spend some time with the family. So, hey, thanks for coming in tonight. All right, appreciate it, Dan. Take you care. bet. All right, you've been listening to the Yankee Fanatic Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Coldwell Banker MidAmerica. 
At Coldwell Banker, you're not one of many clients, you're our most important client. We listen to your needs to develop long-lasting relationships and provide the best services, professional support, and resources in the industry. We are constantly exploring new and innovative ways to elevate your experience and exceed your expectations. Our network of resources allows us to be the number one Coldwell Banker franchise affiliate in Iowa, guiding you home for over 30 years. Well, I want to thank my guest again tonight for coming in, Bob Fontana. I know it's been a busy day uh, for the Centennial Coach, but uh, wanted to recap uh, that game today as well as the season for the Jaguars. They had, they had a great year. They certainly have nothing to be ashamed of, and I appreciate uh, his time uh, tonight. Uh, looking ahead to next week, it is uh, spring break for the Ankeny School District, so I'm not sure what we're going to do for the Ankeny Fanatic uh, weekly podcast. Uh, we are planning to have uh, our quarterly uh, Ankeny Fanatic broadcast with Rod Brannon, and I think we're going to be uh, previewing uh, the NCAA tournament games in Des Moines. That should be a lot of fun, so you can come back uh, next week uh, for that. We'll talk to you then.